Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. I want to take just one moment before we we dive into the text this morning and celebrate what's been happening this weekend with our our 45 grades 4 and 5 students retreat um, down in Somerset. There there are at least five kids who have committed themselves, surrendered their life to Jesus during this weekend. (laughs) Unbelievable, right? There, There are 22 adults who are there serving. We've got 50 kids there having a great time. It's been an awesome weekend. I'm so grateful for our team, for Bethany's leadership. So let's give thanks to God for for what he's done. Oh, Lord, thank you. Yes, we do celebrate God. We're joyous to hear that there are children coming to know you. We thank you, Lord, for the, the hope that comes through that seed of faith. And we pray, Lord, that you would protect those seeds of faith, that they would grow, Lord, strong in every way. That you would keep the enemy from snatching up, Lord, that which, that which has been planted in their hearts. Be with the team as they travel home today, Lord. Bless those who have served. I pray, Lord, the kids would have some way of cementing the reality of this experience in their hearts. We thank you for the fun and the safety and, and just the fellowship and the growing in Christ that's taken place. May the same thing happen here this morning, Lord. We give this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to dive right into the story of Samson. We're going to pick up in Judges 13. We're in the Old Testament. Uh, We're excited about this series too. So much to be excited about. It's going to be a lot of fun. Picking up in chapter 13, verse 1. Let's, Let's get the backdrop of the story, so to speak. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Okay, so 40 years. That represents the longest period of bondage that God's people had to endure in the Old Testament. By the way, these Philistines, this is where we get the word Palestine. It's, It's the derivative of that word, which is important, what's going on in the world right now. A little more cultural backdrop is found for us if we turn to Judges chapter 2. In Judges 2, you'll get a sense of of why the Israelites are in this place where they're doing evil in the eyes of the Lord and how the Lord delivers them into the hands of the Philistine. Well, what's going on here? If you read Judges 2, you'll know. Look at Judges 2, picking up in verse 10. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. We read this just a couple weeks ago, if you were here. Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what the Lord had done for Israel. And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. So look, what's going on in in Israel in the time of the book of Judges is this. Number one, there's a lack of leadership. Joshua has died. And after Joshua died, God 
did not, curiously, God did not choose a successor to him. And so individuals and families and tribes are, are responsible for abiding by God's laws themselves. You can imagine how that worked out. Not so well. There's a lack of leadership in Israel. Not only that, the Torah has been forget, forgotten. We're talking about the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The generation that, that arises has forgotten. They've turned away from the word of God. They've ignored Moses' call to seek the Lord. And so they've forgotten how God had rescued them. So there's a lack of leadership. They've forsaken the word of God. And, and then the influence of the surrounding cultures is creeping into them. And it's impacting their religious practices. Their loyalties become divided, so to speak. That's what's going on there. This kind of reminds me, honestly, of the state of the world today. We just mentioned what's going on in the Middle East. The, the current tension between Israel and Palestine. That's something significant that we have to pay attention to. Somehow connected to this text, I have to believe. Well, how about the divide in our own country? I mean, there's such hatred among people in America these days. It's really disheartening. And, and I have to wonder about even the church in America these days. You know, I was talking to Pastor John this week, and we were lamenting the fact that in the church, there is a dearth of leadership. We're in need of leaders in the church. Where are they? There's a dearth of leadership. There's a lack of leadership. It seems like the word is being forgotten even. In among Christians, perhaps in our churches. And we have become significantly influenced by the surrounding culture of our day. Maybe we're not too much unlike the Israelites in the time of Judges. That's what I would submit to you this morning. Well, out of this arises a situation where God raises up those who are called judges, leaders, who would deliver Israel. Listen to what, again, in Judges 2, it says about these, these judges. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, them being the Israelites, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. And so what we see here is this. God raises up judges. Israel sins again. They cry out to God. And what does God do? God sends a deliverer, a judge, called to rally the people, to overthrow the invaders and to give them peace. And, and this cycle repeats itself over and over again. Honestly, it's, it's kind of monotonous in the book of the Judges. Over and over again, this cycle of sin, then punishment, then deliverance shows its head and it's over and over again. And as we pick up in Judges 13 today with the story of Samson, that's where we find ourselves. They're caught in this monotonous cycle of sinning, crying out to God, 
and then God bringing a deliverer. And that deliverer that we're going to learn about here is Samson. So let's go back to Judges 13. We're going to do some Bible gymnastics today. We're going to work through a lot of text. At least that's my goal. Let's see. Let's get into it. Judges 13, picking back up in verse 2. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. This is what they would call in the the comic book world an origin story. What we have here is an origin story. But it's not an ordinary origin story. This isn't just the story of a hero, as we will soon find out. I'd also say this, you know, Samson's often thought of as a kid's story. Listen, there's nothing really kid-friendly about most of this story. The themes are very adult in nature. So don't consider this to be something that's for children. It's for all of us. Now notice here in these first verses that God sends an angel. Let me tell you, when God wants to do something really great, he doesn't send an army. He sends an angel. And what does that angel often do when the angel shows up? He proclaims the promise of a baby. You see this throughout the scriptures. I mean, if we go to the book of Genesis, in Genesis, Abraham and Sarah are visited by an angel. What does the angel tell them? That they will have a son, Isaac. It's the plan of salvation beginning in the book of Genesis. Well, how about later on in the Old Testament as we turn the pages? Well, Moses, the baby, saved from the bulrushes, given to women to be raised, and he would deliver Israel from the, from the, the, the hand of slavery in Egypt. Or how about when Israel needed revival? When Israel was just dying away and, and turning away from God, well, God gave baby Samuel to Hannah. We read about that over and over again. And then when the fullness of the time had arrived, God gave baby Jesus to Mary. The angels show up and they announce this great truth. Let me tell you something. Each baby, each baby God sends is a gift from God. A new beginning. And it carries tremendous, tremendous potential. I mean, this is really at the heart of why we at Christ Church are so passionate. We as Christians, I believe, are so passionate about life. This is why we hate abortion. Because we know that the promise of God, that there's this great hope that's embedded in the life of a baby. Don't you see it? It's all over the scriptures. And here are the people of Israel are receiving this great hope. This great hope that through a baby, that there's a promise. That there's there's rescuing to be done. A great hope through a baby. Oh Lord, would you send us in these days such babies, right? I love that we had Alyssa Grace up here. She represents something. The hope of a new generation knowing the Lord. The promises of God. It's an exciting thing we see here that God's serious. He's sending an angel. And that angel is talking about a baby who's going to come. And that baby holds a lot of promise. I'll tell you this though. Babies must have time to grow up, don't they? Those of us who are parents, grandparents, we know this. 
Babies have to have time to grow up. Let's continue in the text, picking back up in in verses 4 through 7. Now, see to it that you drink no wine. This is the angel speaking to Manoah's wife, the mother of Samson. See to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, a man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God. Very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from. And he didn't tell me his name, but he said to me, you will become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink and do not eat anything unclean because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. Okay, so here we get the appearance of what's known as the Nazarite vow. Maybe you've heard of this. This this term Nazarite comes from the Hebrew word to separate or consecrate. And, and, And this Nazarite vow is something that John the Baptist Observed even from the, the, the womb of his mother. And, and what, it refer, what, it, what it calls for is abstaining for anything related to the grape and also avoiding touching dead bodies. Evidently a problem back in those days. I don't know about you. I haven't touched many dead bodies, nor have I been tempted to do so. But evidently this was something to be avoided in those times, especially by a Nazarite. Nothing to do with the grape. Not touching dead bodies. And, and then... That's an important mark. They would allow their hair to grow. No razor would touch the head. You might be familiar with this. Ordinarily, this Nazarite vow was for a limited period of time. However, for Samson, it was to last his entire life. All of his days, he was called to be a Nazarite. And and a Nazarite would give a definite no to certain things in order to show a definite yes to something that was the most important thing. And that, in this case, that's dedication of the self to God. And so they give a definite no to grapes and touching dead things and cutting their hair as a way of symbolically saying yes, their definite yes to the purposes and their dedication to God. And so the secret of Samson's strength. And if you know anything of the story, you know that Samson is is known, renowned for for great strength. The secret to Samson's strength was thought to be his Nazarite vow. Now, as I'm explaining this Nazarite vow to you, I have to flip ahead in the story just a little bit because I want you to see how, how Samson totally disregards this Nazarite vow. You may know about the cutting of hair. That's to come in a few weeks. But but before that, he shows no regard for God's word. Look at Judges 14. Just turn the page and you'll see in Judges 14 that in in verses 5 through 9, we see that that Samson seems to have no uh, allegiance to God through his behavior, picking up in verse 5. Chapter 14, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. And as they approached the vineyards, the vineyards of Timnah, where grapes grow, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him, maybe trying to warn him. 
stay out of there. Don't go into the vineyard. Maybe God had sent the lion. Who knows? The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. And then he went down to talk with the woman and he liked her. We'll get to that again later. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. And in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. And when he rejoined his parents, he gave them some and they ate it too. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Do you see? I mean, here he is walking in vineyards, touching a lion's carcass. He is to be a Nazarite from birth. What God has commanded him to do, don't eat anything, nothing to do with the grape. Don't touch dead bodies. Oh, what's he doing? He had no regard, it seems, for the ways of the Lord. He was disregarding what God had called him to do. So let me ask you the obvious question. Let's ask ourselves this question this morning. How are you? How are we disregarding the word of the Lord? Man, it's really easy to pick on Samson. He's an easy target. But how about you? If you really examine yourself, are there things that the Lord has said, hey, don't go there? Are there things the Lord has said, stay away from this? Are there ways in which God has called you because of your dedication to God to live that you're disregarding, that you're turning away from? Let's learn the lessons from the life of Samson. Let's see ourselves in this, in this passage. I'll tell you this. You know, I've told you that, that I, um, I like indoor cycling, spin. And there was a gym where I was going for spin classes. And this particular gym wanted you to check in before you went to class. Well, for whatever reason, I decided that I didn't need to check in almost every time. I wouldn't check in. I'd just go up to class and get on a bike and do my thing. I don't know why, I just wouldn't do it. It was one of those quarters I was cutting, you know? Like when you, when you, when you don't really stop at a stop sign. I just thought, I don't need to do this. And so I didn't check in. Well, one day, I'm in that spin class, and I was there early. But the class is filling up. Every bike is practically gone. In fact, when I do look around when the class is starting, every bike is filled up. Every one of them. And a woman comes in. And she looks around for an empty bike and she sees there's not any there. Well, I hear her talking to the instructor and she says, well, the check-in sheets show that there should still be one bike left. Guess who didn't check in? And so the, 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 the facilitator says, hey, uh, did everyone here check in this morning? I just kind of looked down and act like I didn't hear that question. She said, if you didn't check in, I'm going to need you to take, uh, to get off the bike so that this person who has checked in can get on a bike. And so I had to go through the walk of shame, get off of the bike because I had disregarded the rules. I thought that I didn't, they didn't apply to me. I thought that I didn't need to comply with them. We do the same thing with God's word. Where are you disregarding God's word? Where are you saying, hey, that doesn't apply to me? It's a good challenge. That's what Samson had done. He was to be a Nazarite, a person who made definite no's to certain things because he had a definite yes to be dedicated to God. He disregarded it. He said, that doesn't apply to me. I wonder. I wonder about us. Let's go back to the text, picking back up in, in verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us, come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. 
Well, God heard Manoah. I love that. God heard him. And the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field. But her husband, Manoah, was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, he's here. The man appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said, are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, he said. Now, you know, there's this little, this little bit in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Might be familiar to you. Hebrews 13, 2 says this. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing some, for, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. I love that Samson's parents, who weren't aware that they had an angel. We're going to talk more about this angel, by the way. That they had an angel in their presence. Their reference in the New Testament, their faith. Entertaining angels, that's what they were doing. Let's go back to the text, picking up in, in verse uh, 12. Yeah, verse 12. So Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, this is the angel speaking, he says, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? He wants clarification. Evidently, he didn't believe his wife. And the angel of the Lord answered, your wife must do all that I have already told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. This, this Nazarite vow went to her as well during the pregnancy. She must do everything I have commanded her. Now, I, I see when I think about Samson's parents, an incredible devotion to God. They were devoted to one another. You get that sense from the text? And they were certainly devoted to God. They were God-fearing people. Now, mind you, this isn't the time of the judges. This is a time of apostasy. This is a time of anarchy in Israel. And yet, here are these faithful people. You know, there were houses of the faithful in those times. Houses where, where people were dedicated to the Lord. Homes where people believed in prayer. I'll tell you, in the days to come, and look, we're going to see a rise in apostasy. We're going to see a, maybe a rise in anarchy, so to speak. In those times, there will still be, oh Lord, may there be, homes where people are dedicated to the Lord. Where they believe in the power of prayer. Where they're dedicated to following Jesus. May your homes be these kinds of homes. Let me ask you a question. How are you leading your home? Be ready, people. How are you leading your home in these times? Are you following the example of Manoah and his wife? Who were faithful, even as a culture was crumbling and turning away from God around them? When was the last time you prayed for your family? I challenge you with that. Are you praying for your, for your marriage? Are you praying for your children, for your grandchildren? Are you doing it fervently? Are you doing it regularly? Are you the kind of household? Do we have households in the church where people love God? They're dedicated to him. They believe in the power of prayer. We see this great example through Samson's parents. Okay, going back to the text here. Now we get to this angel. Picking back up in verse 15. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, we would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, even though you detain me, 
I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that we may honor you. When your word comes true, he replied, Why do you ask my name? It's beyond understanding. And then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. And when the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. I want to tell you with a, with a certain confidence that this was no ordinary angel. There's a little Easter egg, so to speak, left in the text. This wasn't an ordinary angel. We have every reason to believe that this angel of the Lord is Jesus. The pre-incarnate Jesus. Remember, Jesus didn't just show up on the scene in Bethlehem. He's always existed. God is three in one. The heavens and the earth and all living things were created through Jesus. We have evidence here in this text even that this angel of the Lord is Jesus himself. I mean, consider this. What does he say when, and in verse, uh, where is it? Verse, this is embarrassing. I can't find it. He says though earlier, it's earlier in the text. He says, um, are you the man who talked with my wife? This is back in, in verse 10, 11 rather. He says, I am. I am. And I have to imagine that when this angel of the Lord Jesus said, I am, that the ground shook. I mean, remember in the book of of Exodus chapter three, when God is asked by Moses who he is, what does he say? I am who I am. Or consider this, Jesus made seven great I am statements. In fact, if you've never been back to the Oliver Chapel, depicted on our stained glass windows, it's a gorgeous chapel, you should go back there and see, are the seven great I am statements of Jesus. He said, I am the bread of the light, bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the door. He said, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the vine. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. We see here this, this angel of the Lord say, I am. A, a, a hint, a wink toward his identity. Or how about, if you're not convinced by that, look at verses 17 and 18. In our translations, 17 and 18 say, um, what, he says, why do you ask my name? It's beyond understanding. Well, in, in other translations, it says this, why do you ask my name? It is too wonderful. Maybe you're reading a translation. If you're worshiping at home, or in this room, your Bible's in your lap. Perhaps you've seen a translation where it says, my name, it is too wonderful. Well, this whole interaction between Manoah and, and also this angel of the Lord, so to speak, reminds us of Jacob's interaction with the angel, I'll put that in quotation marks, he wrestled with in Genesis 32. What happens there? Jacob says, please tell me your name. And what does the angel say back? Why do you ask my name? It's the same interplay. Or consider this, in the, in the uh, prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 9, 
verse 6. It says, he shall be called wonderful counselor. It's the same exact word that's used here. Wonderful. My name is too wonderful. He shall be wonderful counselor. And there's another little hint here, a little wink towards his identity. When he's caught up in the flames, ascending into heaven, this past week, on Thursday, 40 days after the resurrection, we observed Ascension Day. Ascension Day is an important day of the church. We don't talk about it enough. In our Anglican tradition, it's a very important day. And on Ascension Day, we consider the great truth that Jesus now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Go read Luke 24, read Acts 1. It reads about the ascension. And the ascension is a lot like what happened here when this angel of the Lord, Jesus, goes up into the clouds. Now you might say, okay, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Okay, so let's say it's Jesus. What's the big deal, you ask? Well, let me tell you something. Israel needed a deliverer. And we're seeing here that they're going to receive one in Samson. But here's the bigger deal. The scriptures also speak to us, not just to Israel. The bigger deal is this. We, we, the world, needs a deliverer. And we have one in Jesus. And he's intertwined in the story of Samson all through it. Let me tell you, origin story, Jesus' origin story continues to unfold in the scriptures. It begins in Genesis. And we see it picking up again here in the book of Judges. It's his origin story. Church, and I'm speaking specifically to the church family, those who trust in Jesus. Look, through Jesus, you have been delivered. A judge needed to come and deliver the Jews. Look, you, through Jesus, have been delivered from your indifference to God, from your aimless life, from a life that just doesn't measure up to his holiness. You've been delivered from your sin. I mean, just for a moment, in light of this passage, let's just step back and consider it. Let's worship God. Reflect on what he's done. Jesus Christ, born to deliver us from our sins. The, magnificent, the, God, the magnificence that he would show up here in the book of Judges. It's almost too much to take in. I want to close by going to verses 24 and 25. We have the birth announcement here. The woman gave birth to a boy and she named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Meneah, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtal. Hmm. You know, it says here that Samson was blessed by the Lord. You know, other judges, if you read this book of the Bible, other judges are said to have been filled with the Spirit. But only Samson, among the judges, is said to have been blessed. And he was given a special name, Samson. That name in Hebrew means sunny. 
S-U-N-N-Y, Sonny. And he brought light to his parents who had been barren, childless. He brought light to Israel, Sonny. You know, there are many who, who hopefully will even hear this message who are in darkness. There are many who are indifferent to God, who are living aimlessly, no target, no goal, no objective of life. Let's face it, the truth is, there are many who are living a life that will never, ever measure up. In fact, I would say everyone. There are many who are caught in the darkness of sin. Well, God sent another bright light. And that light in the darkness is Jesus Christ. I'll take you to the New Testament. One of those I am statements. The book of John, chapter 8, verse 12. As we consider this narrative of Samson, what does it mean to us? Why is this even important? Is this more than an entertaining story? I think it all points to this. Jesus, in John 8, verse 12 says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says, I am the light. I'm sunny. I'm the bright light. And anyone who follows me will no longer be aimless in their path. Anyone who, who follows me will not have to be indifferent anymore. Anyone who follows me and walks in me in my light will never ever have to, to bear the burden of their own sinfulness. He says, I am the light of the world. No longer will they have to be in darkness. He says, I will deliver them from the darkness. That's who Jesus is. Israel needed a deliverer. And they got one in Samson. Let me tell you, the world is in need of a deliverer today. And we have one in Jesus Christ. Oh, would you give your life to him? Let's pray. I want to lead you. Whether you are with us online, worshiping, considering these words, if you're in this room, I want to give you the opportunity to consider the deliverer, the one who is the light, Jesus Christ, the one who, who really is the true Samson. He's the judge with a capital J, our fearless leader, the one who would ultimately deliver us, Jesus Christ. I'll tell you this, he's with us right now. In fact, with the gift of your imagination, an imagination given to you by God, with your eyes closed, you might consider Jesus among us right now. A bright light, even in our imagination, shining, saying, I am the light of the world. Oh, would you say to Jesus, Oh God, I don't want to walk in the darkness of sin anymore. This could be your prayer. 
Lord, I don't want to be indifferent to you any longer. I don't want to live an aimless life. I don't want to live simply for my own passions and my own desires. I want to live for you. Oh, Jesus, shine your light on me. I believe that you are the light of the world. And I believe that only you can deliver me from my sin. Thank you, Lord, for the story of Samson. We're amazed. We're in wonder of how your word is knit together in such a marvelous way that even though it's written over thousands of years, it tells one story. And it's the story of your son, Jesus. Lord, help us to live for him. Oh God, we pray all these things in the matchless name of the light of the world, our deliverer, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.